Welcome to Season 2 of The Plants We Eat, a podcast from the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens that investigates the fascinating history, biology, and culture behind the plants we use for food. This is Jeff Gilman and Cindy Proctor. Together we have over 50 years of research, teaching, and hands-in-the-dirt experience with growing plants. And Cindy, this week, uh, you know, before we even get to our plant of the week, which is mustard, mustard. (laughs) we've had a couple of comments. In fact, I tell you what, we have had a lot of comments, a lot of emails recently. Keep them coming. It's been really fun. It has been so much fun. Email address is jgilman at uncc.edu. That's j-g-i-l-l-m-a-n at uncc.edu. We love to hear from you. So the two people that wrote uh, that we need to actually uh, talk about today are Andrew Carson and Saleh Al-Shanar. And Andrew Carson uh, wrote from Australia, letting us know that in our hops episode, we were wrong about which direction they twined. Oh. Hey, sometimes we're wrong. That must have been your part. Uh, actually, I think he points out that it's your part, but let's just, let's just get beyond that. Okay, okay. I, I claim it. <laughs> so this, you know, I get caught up. This was a rabbit hole. I started, as soon as he said this, I had to start looking up scientific articles on it, and there's actually a lot on it, and most of it is by a scientist in Australia. Actually, I believe it's the University of New South Wales, Angela Moles. And she has studied this. And what she has discovered is that 92% of 1,485 twining stems grew counterclockwise. So most of your twining stems grow counterclockwise, and it is not affected by which hemisphere you're in. Because we, we had said, and I'm just going to say we, I won't point out specifically who, we had said that it differs hemisphere to hemisphere. It does not okay. differ hemisphere to hemisphere. And here's the thing. While 92% go counterclockwise, hops is one of the few that grows clockwise. Okay, (laughs) okay. And by the way, it does seem that every once in a while you will get a vine twining the opposite way for whatever reason, either it's forced or... Okay, well, I'm glad that I'm learning too. That's great. Isn't that interesting? Andrew, thank you for pointing that out. That was awesome. Now, you did take away a few hours of my life that I'll never get back. <laughs> I'm kidding, Andrew. We really appreciate finding out about that. Now, Saleh Al-Shanar, uh, who's out of Dubai, and by the way, these international emails, they are so incredibly cool, especially when they contact us and they have some real experience with these plants. Now, Saleh is in Dubai, and he pointed out that um, there were a few things that he would like to add to our notes. So I'm, I'm going to pick out just a few of them. First of all, we dwelled on just about every way that dates can be eaten, except fresh. We didn't spend much time on fresh, and he was pointing out that fresh dates are amazing. Not only that, you can take your fresh date, you can put it into the freezer, and because it has such a high sugar content, it won't freeze, and you can take it out, and you can have this ice-cold date unfrozen. Wow. Doesn't that sound awesome? That does. So You know, unfortunately, I don't know if... We, we, can get, we can get fresh dates. Except in places in the U.S. Yes. where you could find the date palms. Arizona, which is one of them. Okay, well, exactly. that's interesting. Okay. He points out that there's a number, there's uh, thousands of cultivars. And he also points out that the date palms started in Asia, moved to North Africa, in that during the process, date palms hybridized with another palm variety. So the North African dates are actually a hybrid of the Asian dates and another palm variety. 
And this was shown through genetic testing at NYU. And he actually pointed out an NYU article, which was, I thought, again, absolutely fascinating. Definitely a little bit more for the real, um, <laughs> for the real nerdy scientist people <laughs> out there. But um, you can look up this NYU article about these hybrid date trees, which, which are also just very, very interesting. He, he pointed out another few things, uh, two of which I'm, I'm going to mention. And so I'm sorry for not touching on everything you pointed out here. But in the interest of time, I'm going I'm to keep it short. He also pointed out another way that palms are eaten, and that is the palm hearts. Oh, the, yeah. The, yeah. And I don't know much about that. Oh, they're so. wonderful. I'm, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I've only had the canned variety here. And, okay, well, and I want to get them now. They're wonderful. And, okay. What do they taste like? They're in every grocery store. Are they? Okay, well, now I know that there's something I've missed. Yes, you have. Okay. They're I'm not gonna... cheap, $5 a can. Yeah, but— Which is odd to pay for canned goods. They're unique. You know, if I had been thinking, we'd have a can here right now, and we'd be trying it. That's a good—yes, I would love that. All right, okay. Maybe we'll do that for some future show. You know, okay. It's fun to have these, th- it these things true. here. It is true. And then finally, the final point that he makes, which was great, the oldest mature seed that has grown into a viable plant was a Judean date palm seed about 2,000 years old, recovered from excavation at Herod the Great's palace in Masada in Israel. It was germinated in 2005. Cool, huh? Yeah, pretty cool. Neat stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Plants are neat. Saleh, that was awesome. It was so wonderful to get your letter. I love emails. Yeah, stay in touch. Okay, now on to mustard. Before we start talking about it, thanks to Julie Bessignano, Bessignano, Bessignano. I'm sorry. I, hopefully one of those pronunciations <laughs> was at least close <laughs> to the way you pronounce your name. Anyway, Julie, while dining at a restaurant in Austria, became uh, somewhat irritated with us when she discovered that we hadn't covered mustard and so wasn't able to tell her husband about it when he asked. You know, I can't say that I blame her because I didn't, I think of it, mustard is one of my favorite condiments. Is it really? Yes. Okay. And mustard is, it's actually very closely related to a crop that we've already talked about. Yes. Rutabaga. Rutabaga. Yes. Also closely related to cabbage. It's one of these, we talked about it before, it's one of these coal crops. Collards. Turnips. Wasabi. Exactly. So Horseradish. (laughs) Don't stop. Don't stop. Kale. (laughs) (laughs) So mustard is actually closely related to all of these things. One thing I want to mention that it's not related to, at least not closely related to, is mustard gas. (laughs) You're so silly. (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) you hear mustard gas and you think this this awful mustard gas. I just don't know what you're going to say sometimes. But yes, you're right. It is not related to mustard gas. I mean, there's some relation in the chemistry of mustard gas and some of the things in mustard, but But it's not a close relation. But this is a unique uh, plant to talk about because two parts of it that are used extensively, and that is the leaves and the seeds. Exactly. And as I was going through mustard, it became necessary to divide mustard into three groups, white mustard, black mustard, and oriental mustard. Basically, I have three types of mustard. These are different species. One mustard that we are not going to talk about today is the mustard from the Christian parable. If you're Christian, you've probably heard the parable of the mustard seed. Well, that is the relatively unrelated mustard bush, which the mustard bush is fascinating. It's used as a toothbrush. It has berries uh, that are edible, leaves that are edible. 
That might make for a great future show, but because it's unrelated, we're going to stay away from that mustard seed today. We're going to stick with white mustard, black mustard, and oriental mustard. And let me give just a little introduction to each. White mustard is the mildest mustard. It's from uh, Europe, North Africa, and parts of Asia. When you think of yellow mustard, your mild yellow mustard, think white mustard. Then there's black mustard. This is spicier. This is from Europe, North Africa, and parts of Asia. When you think uh, Dijon-type mustard, you want to think more of your black mustard. And then there's, finally, there's the oriental mustard, which is also known as leaf mustard, Chinese mustard, oilseed mustard. Oriental mustard has the biggest number of varieties. It's native to southern and eastern Asia. When I think of oriental mustard, or and I'll, I'll, I'm just going to stick with the term oriental mustard, but I think of oriental mustard, I think of mustard greens. Most of your mustard greens are oriental mustard. And I have to say that when I lived in the north, mustard greens were not a big thing, and I didn't think about them much. When I came south, mustard greens ended up being one of the things that I enjoyed most. Are you a big mustard green oh, lover? yes. I love mustard anything. Okay. And that's why I can't believe we I didn't think about talking about it. I just didn't think about a condiment. I love yellow mustard. Okay. And I know that's a simple palate to have, but, you know, I had mustard sandwiches as a kid. You're kidding. Just no. bread and mustard? White Wonder Bread with lather. Well, we all love that's right. white Wonder Bread. Lathered <laughs> with mustard, and sometimes I'd slip a piece of cheese in there. I'm going for the mustard. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like mustard greens, a little bit of ham in there to give them that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's low country food right there. <laughs> so, so, so today, and by the way, for those of you who don't know what low country food is, that means coastal Carolinas, coastal North and South Carolina. So today, most of our mustards are produced in Pakistan, India, Canada, and Nepal. Canada being a, a really, really big one. Especially for Dijon, correct? Yes. Yeah. And it's native to Asia, isn't mustard was first most thought. of it, most of it. So, think about mustard. So we should we should really stress this. Mustard is a weed. It, it, it really, really is. is. It grows just about everywhere. I've read a lot of information about where these all these three mustards originated, and Oriental mustard really is kind of Asian, but white mustard and black mustard they they kind of say they started around the Mediterranean, but realistically they were in many many parts of Europe. North Africa and Asia. They are aggressive weeds. They, they really are. So when uh, mustard is harvested, so at, let me tell you, let me describe the mustard briefly. And all three plants look roughly similar. It's beautiful, by they, the way. They are. They have these low, they have these low growing leaves and then this spike in the center that spikes into this group of white flowers, which is pretty. It's usually quite pretty. These yellow flowers then, as they're pollinated, age into pods, which are full of seeds. The pods look roughly like a string bean, except they kind of stick out from the plant instead Mm -hmm. of drooping down. Uh So they come straight out. Looks weird. It does look weird. And and you can harvest these and you can take the seeds out. And it's the combination of mixing water and vinegar and whatever flavor you're wanting to enhance, you know, into with the seeds itself to make your mustard condiment. Exactly. But we're talking about the plant that you can most likely you're going to get the leaves from to make greens or add to salads or or sandwiches. I kind of want to leave the mustard prep to the the professionals. You're talking about the leave the condiment to, yeah, the, to the professionals? Yeah. I want to talk about it briefly, but I'm not okay. I'm not planning on dwelling on it today. But... I have a few more kinds I want to talk about too. So, okay. so mustard. Well, what kind of, what kinds do you want to talk about? <laughs> You can't wait. I can't. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what. Let me let me let me hit let me hit my 
my high points okay. here. Because this is it's just cool stuff. So anyway, one of the things that I found most interesting, do you know what canola oil is? Sure. Okay. It comes from what plant? The rapeseed. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It comes yeah. from rapeseed. But it comes from actually a number of different types of plants. And one of those plants is actually a type of oriental mustard. Now, do you know what canola stands for? No, I don't. Okay, so there actually isn't a canola plant. Instead, there are a group of plants similar to mustard, not just mustard, but rapeseed, which is also, again, another type of plant related to it, but also including this oriental mustard where they collect the seeds and take out the oil. What canola stands for is Canadian oil low acid. Oh. Okay? Okay. So canola, Canadian oil low acid acid, canola. Wow. I'm okay. really impressed. So by the here's way. the here's the thing. Mustard oil, at least for ingestion, is not legal to be sold in the United States or Europe. Okay, so mustard oil. And mustard oil would include primarily oil from this oriental mustard. Although people do use it for various things. The reason they can't use mustard oil is because of its concentration of erushic acid. Erushic acid can cause myocardial lipidosis. In other words, <laughs> that's a heart issue, as well as possibly injuring other body systems. Uh, for example, the liver. It is liver toxic. You can actually find mustard oil on Amazon, but you'll see it noted for external use only. Now, I'm sure some people use it for ingestion, but you shouldn't really use it for ingestion. So over the years, what, they, what the uh, Canadian government has done is they have actually developed uh, certain types of oriental mustard that are extremely low in this ruchic acid so that you can use it for canola oil. But some people still believe that you shouldn't have canola oil because it still has, you know, in some cases, a relatively high level of this acid. So this, this actually is, believe it or not, a, an issue for debate for some people. So be careful of that canola oil because it may include some mustard oil in there, which may have a slightly higher level of a particular acid, which may cause certain problems. Now you know. So what about all of these different mustards that we can use? Yellow mustard. Yellow mustard, the common mustard that we eat in the United States. This is actually primarily white mustard. The reason it is yellow, because of the turmeric that is added. Correct. White mustard is not yellow in and of itself. It's this yellow that goes with it. Now, this yellow mustard also includes a, a decent bit of vinegar. The mildest mustards have white mustard with plenty of vinegar. And Cindy, you were talking about this before. Mm -hmm. Now, your Dijons and your darker mustards, these have primarily black mustards with water. Okay, so black mustards with water. And it may certainly have some oriental mustards mixed in. You realize the Dijon mustard has um, white wine. Well, it can have white wine, but it wasn't actually that way at first. Mm -mm. At first, they used something called verjuice, which is the acidic juice of unripe grapes. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound delicious? It does. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, your mustards can have all different mixes of your white, your black, and your oriental mustard. So don't think that it's all necessarily just one or another type. There are all kinds of different mustards that can be mixed in there. And by the way, we're mostly talking about these three species, three types of mustards. 
There are actually more than that. These are just the three primary. And then cultivars, which really oh, are goodness, used we, for the leafy part, you know, of yeah, the mustard yeah, plant. Yeah, the, um, the oriental mustard has a tremendous number of different cultivars depending on, you know, what type of mustard green you like. Now, the white mustards, actually, there's a reason that they're milder. They actually have a compound called synbaldin, which uh, is responsible mostly for the flavor of the mustard for the pungency. The breakdown product of Cymbaldin has a much less pungent flavor than Cinegrin, which is what you have in your black mustards. That, so Cinegrin from the black mustards is much more pungent and gives that bigger kick. So that's what you're using mostly in your Dijons to get that bigger kick. The oldest mustard company in the United States, Goulden's, started operating in the mid-1860s. And, you know, of course, I had to look up patents on mustard because, of course, I had to look up patents <laughs> on mustard. And, and you know something? Goulden's, it didn't really seem to be about the recipe for the mustard. What it was actually about was the, uh, was the containers. Charles Goulden and his father actually had a whole bunch of patents for different ways to package and serve the mustard. So that was that in and of itself I found to be absolutely fascinating. If you're wondering when mustard started to be used, about 2,000 years ago, there are records of it being used in Rome. In 13th century France, that's when we have records of, uh, of seeds being ground up. And there are records from that time of it being mixed up with uh, partially fermented grape juice. And uh, they called that moutard, yes. which is now mustard in English. Cool stuff. So do you primarily eat just the yellow mustard here that we typically have in the state? So I, that's, a, that's a really good question because I eat a lot of regular yellow mustard. I, I don't think I'm the fan of mustard that you are. <laughs> mustard greens are my big thing, but I certainly eat yellow mustard on my hot dogs, on my brats. I usually like something a little bit spicier. So I, I wouldn't say I usually get a Dijon mustard, but I usually do get a darker mustard for my, for my brats. I like a little bit more flavor with okay. the brats. Okay, okay. So uh, we there's lots of different mustards. In fact, did you know that there is a museum in Wisconsin? I had no idea. That stores a collection of 5,000 jars of mustard bought from 60 countries and 50 states. Okay, it's <laughs> called the Mount Orob Mustard Museum in Wisconsin. I want to go. I want to go, too. I want to go. <laughs> Not and, as much as you, perhaps. And, <laughs> well, and I, uh, when you start looking up mustard because you know you're going to talk about it, I have to say, the lover of mustard I am, I had no idea there were so many kinds, you know, out there. Of course, after seeing the museum has 5,000 jars, but, you know, mainstream. And the one that I am very intrigued about is a fruit mustard. And they, um, they have, in Italy, it's kind of like made with fruit, vegetables, and mosto and grape juice that gets simmered until syrupy with the mustard uh, seed. I want to try that. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. That's the mustardus? Yes. I saw that mentioned, and I, yes, that was one that, yeah. I, that really sounded good. But, you know, there's great mustards that are really hot. There's honey mustard. There's, yeah. you know, the hot pepper mustard, beer mustard. I thought you would like that. Yeah, I've had beer mustard. There's lots of different <laughs> ones, um, and I am going to leave that up to the, man, the the companies to to create and supply on my grocery store shelves, mm -hmm. so I can I can try. But growing the plant itself is a, for us in the South. 
is another great fall planting, you know, that can be done, you know, to add to our pansy collection, right? to, to add to our cabbage and kale collection. It's, it's a great little plant and you can collect the young leaves right out of the garden and eat them. It's a, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's an amazing ornamental plant, but if you pick the right one, it certainly can be uh, quite, quite pretty and be, you know, functional as well as being attractive. There's a lot of cultivars out there that, that reflect, of course, in the taste, but the appearance of the leaves. So, so ornamentally, that could it could give you something back besides besides the ta- the taste. But it takes about four weeks to get it established, um, and you need to plant it at least six weeks before the the first frost. Okay. It does not handle freezing temperatures. So it doesn't very handle well. freezing temperatures. Not hard freeze. I think it would handle thirty but not in the high 20s. Okay. And and there are some cultivars more prone to cold than others, but they change every year, you know, the new ones that come out. Yeah, Uh, all these these new ones. All these new ones. But try it. It needs moist soil. Don't let it dry out. It's it's really easy to grow. As I said, it's, it's a weed. When you're looking for one, I really do recommend going the oriental mustard route. That's um, because you love wasabi. It is partially because <laughs> I love wasabi. Um, but the, the oriental mustard has a generally, so the greens from white mustard, from black mustard, and from oriental mustard, they can actually all be eaten. But the oriental mustard has by far the greatest variety of greens. And it's the one we usually eat. When well, we're you're going to get more taste on your sandwich instead of it being another lettuce. Yeah. That's, so, so you're right about that. So that's that's the direction that I would go. And all of them, certainly, you can collect the seeds if you really want to. Although I have to say, the seeds from a single plant, it's not really going to produce that many. You need a, a lot of plants to get enough seed to really make a, a good good mustard. Yes, I like to have little plants. You like to have lots of little plants. That's right, to start with and then... Do you have any, particular, do you have any particular cultivar that you've... No, and it's because they change. I don't get married to one because I'll just yeah. see what they're offering. And next year there'll and, be something right, different. Right, and I'll try it. But they all are pretty, they're all pretty you know, decent. I don't know if... you know. I, for a lot of these plants that we deal with, if pressed, I could come up with a, a standby that I've used in the past that I know has been around. For mustard, I actually can't think of one that's been around for a long time that I think is really amazing that you've got to go get. No, no, they're all pretty good. Yeah, yeah, they are. Anything else on the mustard there? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, I'll tell you what, we've had a number of different people uh, write to us about different crops, but the one that I was most interested in. So the guy, the guy we're picking for uh, for the show next week is Jeremy Mendoza. He recommended pomegranate, and I thought the pomegranate sounded like a lot of fun. Of course, you know, name a crop that isn't a lot of fun. Yeah. I you can't do it. This one has a lot of history. It though. does some amazing history. So I am really looking forward to talking about pomegranate. Yeah, I think it'll probably be a couple of weeks before we get to it. But, yes. Uh, but I'm looking forward to doing it. Sound good? Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Plants We Eat. This has been a production of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens in cooperation with the UNC Charlotte College of Liberal Arts and Science and the Isle Group. It's been great talking with you. Please send us those emails, and we look forward to speaking with you in a couple of weeks.